Welcome to the Runway VC Podcast, a podcast where we talk with experts and disruptors about how they're influencing the future of aviation and travel. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain speaking. We are currently at a Again, and welcome to another episode of the Runway VC podcast. On this episode, we're talking with Bakari Brock, the Senior Director of Business Operations and Airport Policy Manager at Lyft. During the conversation, we talk about Lyft's history, uh, particularly working with airports and kind of their rocky start. Uh, we also talk about the impact of ride sharing in general at airports and how some airports have put a hold on. Certain projects with parking garages and rental cars, but how also some of them are generating uh, large sums of revenue based on allowing ride-sharing companies to operate. Uh, And then we wrap it up by talking about the long-term vision of Lyft, as well as the overall concept of car ownership, with more and more driverless cars coming to our streets in the next couple years, and how long Lyft CEO thinks that will take us to get there. Uh, So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode. How's it going, Ricardo? Oh, pretty good. Have uh, yourself, so, uh Pretty good, pretty good, yeah. I just want to kind of give our listeners a little bit of background on you uh, and your professional background. You've got quite an interesting background jumping around a few of the popular startups, correct? Oh, yes. You know, thank you. I actually uh, spent most of my time in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, where I'm from. And then I left, um, actually, I'm a recovering lawyer. But uh, originally, I joined tech in that capacity. So I moved from Atlanta, and my first job was at YouTube, where I did a lot of commercial work. And then from there, I moved on to Twitter uh, for, for almost four years. And then I was lucky enough to transition from that to join Lyft, uh, originally as a first director of uh, business development, and now I'm senior director of our business operations team. And so within your business operations role, what are some of the groups or, or tasks that you manage kind of on a day-to-day, weekly basis? Yeah, thanks for asking that. On, on a high level, I'm ultimately responsible for not only our relationships and partnerships with venues and airports around the country, but also the operational and, and tactical uh, way we go about servicing those. So that's both from the driver and the passenger side. And I think you know it's important to note that given the fact that we are a newer mode of operation at airports around the country, you know, part of what I do is also evangelize and, and think of ways that we can be the best partner possible to those airports as they adopt a, a new way of doing business. And now before your role, uh, your current role, did you have any kind of interactions or workings with airports or kind of public entities, previous positions? Well, I, I took a bunch of flights, but that's truly about it. I, I did not have a, a policy background or uh, experience in aviation. So not only for Lyft, but for me personally, this, this was a, a new adventure. And how long have you been kind of working in the current role uh, that you're at? Uh, for nearly two and a half years. Okay. Um, so I actually remember um, when I was sitting at my, my desk originally as a uh, director of business development, our co-founder, John Zimmer, or Jay-Z as we call him, walked by my desk and, you know, he, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, Bakari, um, so what's going on with these airports? And I, I distinctly recall looking back uh, at him and saying, I have no idea what you mean by that. 
And so that, that really <laughs> kicked off our, our foray in, into, you know, investing in this industry and, and really dedicating ourselves to uh, making it work. So I think that that story is, for better or worse, kind of symbolic to a lot of the TNCs. And, and I know that's the kind of the acronym going around. Can you define what a TNC is for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with it? Absolutely. You know, we are often referred to as TNCs or transportation networking companies. I think the, uh, the term originally sprung from the California Public Utilities Commission, one of our first regulators, and, and that was the uh, agreed upon term. You know, moving forward, we, we obviously you know, spend a lot of energy explaining you know, that, that our core ethos truly is ride sharing. You know, we are, you know, utilizing a community of drivers uh, to move folks around. So, while you might hear TNCs in, in sort of the, the industry or inside baseball context, uh, and frankly, you know, you might see it every once in a while these days on on a, a, a port, airport sign. Uh, we do prefer ride sharing. I think back to your your kind of story on on getting connected to airports. I think that um, that kind of symbolizes and sums up a lot of the problems that originated with airports and ride sharing. It seemed like you know there there have been several I think ride share companies pop up and and ultimately close their doors over the past couple of years. I don't want to ignore the the 800 pound gorilla being your competitor with Uber, but it sounded it sounds like and it feels like um, that airports were kind of an afterthought in the beginning. Is that something that obviously wasn't intentional? Was it? But was it just because? there wasn't a whole lot of experience working with airports and, and kind of not being familiar or was it just, you didn't, you really didn't see the airports working, I guess in the beginning, didn't envision working closely with the airports. You know, I think that in the beginning, airports were, were, were always important to Lyft and they continue to be even more important to our business and our growth. I, I think just you know, at the advent, we were less familiar with the requirements and the culture, and which is why, frankly, you know, my team has continued to grow from you know, myself to now nearly 10 folks uh, who are dedicated exclusively to airport operations and partnerships and relationships. So granted, just like anything for a new, new company or a new startup, uh, you need to learn, those, you learn about those in which you're going to work or what tube you're going to work. You know, it took us some time, but I, I do think now uh, we feel pretty comfortable in this airport skin, so to speak. Now, are you still seeing a lot of backlash from airports that are really hesitant about working with you in developing that partnership, or is it becoming more and more like, okay, this is the norm? I, I think that given our long-term and consistent commitment to the industry, that airports are, are, are becoming a lot more comfortable with ride-sharing in general and Lyft specifically. Uh, again, we, you know, to my knowledge, we are the only TNC to go back to the industry term that has a dedicated airport team and a leader of that team. And you know, I think it shows we, we are active in you know, the major trade organizations in North America, such as ACI North America and AAAE. And so you know, in, in being consistent players in a known quantity by participating in these conferences and panels and whatever have you, I think folks uh, around the country have gotten to know us and are beginning to, to trust us. And I think that actually, I, I'll agree with you um, in having conversations with airport directors and, and other employees. It seems to be, uh, not to not to throw any other TNCs under the bus, but there seems to be a preference in working 
Lyft as opposed to Uber or, or any of the other TNCs that come through. And it's always, I think that we, you guys got such a bad rap uh, for asking for forgiveness instead of permission. Um, and, and like you talked about, not being really clear with the intricacies of working with that public policy. But how much of this also, in terms of politics, are you seeing from the cab companies just trying to hold on to the market share that they have? I, I think, you know, airports are interested in competition and obviously so are consumers. So granted, I, I do believe in, in many instances, taxis and, and other modes look at airports as, you know, the, the you know, last stronghold of, of their influence. I don't necessarily agree with that, that assessment. I think instead, you know, if you look at you know, some of the, the public reports of, you know, airports like SFO and others, you know, the, the, the rideshare pie has, I'm sorry, the, the ground transportation pie has grown with regards to um, actual revenue. And in certain instances, for example, in last year, we, we saw, you know, modes like shuttles uh, increase a little bit, limos increased at SFO up to 7%. Um, so I, I don't think it's a zero-sum game. It's not us or taxis. I, I think that we thrive well in this competitive environment. And, yeah, I, I mean, you won't say it, and I, and I don't I don't expect you to, to comment on it, but I've definitely seen the political influence of the cab companies at the airports, uh, even from the pickup fees being half of what the ride-sharing companies are paying in terms of cabs, uh, which personally I don't think is fair considering you guys are doing the same thing, but I understand that it's the environment that you got to live in, so um, I won't put you on the spot with that, but <laughs> just a comment for our listeners to, to kind of pay attention to their airports and see what they're charging, the different, the different types of transportation uh, coming in and out of their airports. You know, so, I mean, from, from our you know, perspective, Chris, you know, airports are fundamentally, or many airports, I should say, are fundamentally interested in, in what I call the three C's, you know, cur- um, congestion, reducing curbside congestion, customer service, and cost recovery. And of course, if we can address those three needs, especially with cost recovery, we're more than happy to, as long as it allows our customers to get the best product, which is a safe, affordable ride to and from the airport. Um, so we, we do compete on, on all of those uh, aspects. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are still working out. I, I know pickups, placement have been an issue for a lot of ride-sharing companies at a lot of airports, not being consistent with the way airports are fundamentally designed. For example, in, in Chicago, the pickups uh, for the ride-sharing companies are in the departure section uh, rather than the arrival section where you would assume that would be. So they're not always the most convenient to get to, but I know that newer airports or, or the smaller airports are also working uh, closer to try to make that transition or that experience a little more seamless for you all. Yeah, we, we fully appreciate that, that airports were, were not built for us. And obviously with you know our techn- technology and our model, you know, it's our goal to um, you know, do the best we can to address each footprint. We also have, you know, to, to some extent, an advantage in so far as that we can look at the data, and we often share data with our airport partners as to, you know, anything from where uh, customers are opening up their app in the terminals to, um, you know, which terminals are, are more busy for ride sharing, uh, what the contact rates are, and, and by that I mean, you know, maybe if there's a bad placement, we see a higher instance of a driver calling a passenger for a ride or a passenger contacting the, the driver. You know, a, a lot of things that you won't necessarily get through, you know, more traditional 
modes and in, and uh, more archaic technology like AVI transponders on a taxi. So while we do to evolve this, it, it is frankly often the case that we you know will get uh, you know placed at the kitty table and then we have to prove um, to our partner that we are you know mature enough to move on up. And to some extent that, you know, over time might displace some of the older players, but, um, you know, we think it's for the best. Yeah. And now are any of the airports that are currently looking at building new terminals um, reaching out to you all, kind of trying to put maybe ride sharing in the beginning plans of, of design? I, I, I absolutely think so. You know, we, we've seen, especially in the last year or so, airports as a you know, look at capital improvement plans and, and are thinking about um, you know, traffic flow over time. You know, they, they're thinking, you know, 10, 15, 25 years out. Yeah. And in, in, given the fact they have to do so, you know, they have to worry about everything from, you know, parking revenue and capacity to uh, ingress and egress to wayfinding and the ability to expand, not just for, you know, most like ourselves, but who knows what might exist in, in 10 or 15 years from now. So, I, I do think that, that that is definitely being factored in. And, you know, if you look at, you know, for example, LAX, which is undergoing a $1.6 billion renovation, you know, it's going to be clear that they are considering, um, you know, other ways to address uh, how ride sharing and, and other modes are going to get people in, in and out. Yeah, I think that um, one of the impacts that I've seen in terms of capital planning is that a lot of airports are trying to put uh, even put holes on certain projects. I know of uh, a few airports that have kind of held back on expansions to parking lots as well as rental car facilities just to kind of see what the impact of ride sharing will have over time because, uh, you know, these, like you mentioned, they're planning 15, 20, 25 years in, uh, out and, and parking garages are not something that can easily tor- easily be taken down once the, or, or inexpensively taken down once they're put up. So I think, yeah, the, the plan for that is – the planning for that is, is going into effect. Um, and I think a little bit later, you and I can talk about the, the reuse of parking garages and what that – what and how Lyft can be involved in that to some extent. Um, but I kind of want to go back a little bit to what you talked about, about the expansion of the different ways people are coming – getting to the airport – are you seeing that the growth in shuttle usage um, and even some places, uh, you know, talking to a few different airports, hearing that their rental car rates or their uh, numbers haven't been really that in, that much impacted? Are you are, is it because more people are traveling or I mean, somebody is there's got to be somebody that's doing something different than they were six, five years ago, six years ago. So where are they seeing the impact or is it just simply more people are going to the airport than ever before? I, I think I'll, I'll take a, a sort of a, a non-airport analogy. You know, what we're seeing even in, in dense urban areas since the advent of ride sharing a years ago is that you know, more folks, especially more millennials, but even you know, uh, you know, older folks are taking ride share you know, for that, let's go to a happy hour, let's go to a dinner, or let's go to a show. It, it, it's not, you know, our, it's one, you know, mode of transportation winning or losing. It's just now that people can get safe, affordable rides uh, relatively easy, you just see more people doing that. And in our experience, that, that's what ha- what's happening uh, with airports. So, you know, your typical business traveler or a family who's going to go to Disney World will always be renting a car, right? So we're not replacing that, 
but instead you might just going on a weekend quick trip or a business traveler who doesn't really need a car but otherwise might have rented one because you know perhaps other modes are are more expensive or they find this a lot more convenient they're just just taking us more frequently yeah well and it's, it's interesting to see what the over time the amount uh, or the rate of parking and the amount of parking that's being used up at airports is going to do i know most airports that I've talked to have said that after they've allowed or and permitted ride sharing to work within their airports, they did not see the uh, the drop in in parking that they all assumed that they would. And I know that's a big concern, considering for a lot of airports, parking is their number one non-aeronautical revenue source. So it's just interesting to see what that impact is over time. Personally, I think that the 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 revenue from parking is only a matter of time before it goes down, um, and not n- not solely because to blame it on Lyft or, or any of the other ride-sharing companies, but mostly just because less and less people are buying cars, especially in, in major metropolitan cities where you see investments in public transportation being put in. So I think that that's I think it'll be I think it's really interesting to see over time what that what the revenue from parking does. I don't know if you've gotten any stats from the airports that you work with to see if that's been taking place. We, we actually haven't necessarily been following the you know rise and or fall of, of, of parking revenue terribly closely um, recently, except for mm-hmm. you know, one quick anecdote. I know that uh, somewhat recently the, uh, the bonds covering the Philadelphia airport were just rated A minus. And so you know, the analysts who are looking at that mini bond have decided that you know even with the first temporary approval and soon uh, final approval of TNC operations um, at the Philadelphia airport that they're not concerned that their parking revenue will decrease. Um, I think that's in part because if you look at you know, many airports across the country, at least this last year, uh, employments have steadily increased um, to some extent. Even parking rates have slightly increased, but by, by and large, any of those increases have been outpaced by um, increased travel by folks. Yep. Obviously, if there's economic downturn and, and leisure travel decreases, we, we might see it go the other way. Um, it's, it's hard to tell right now. Yeah, I think that eventually there'll be a, I think for a while, airports found a luxury in being able to raise parking rates. Uh, and, and I know that at some airports, it's incredibly expensive to park your car there. But over time, they will, you know, the economics will work themselves out where airports will find that sweet spot. Okay, this is what, you know, we're, our, our passengers are willing to pay for. Um, and if we go above this, people will just start rationalizing that it's not worth leaving their car here for three days um, or however long they're traveling because it's cheaper for them to take, to get into a ride chair and, and take it to the airport. Sure, I mean, there's that. And then you're also seeing a, a bit more fragmentation and and the services offered. So if it you know becomes cost prohibitive for you know the average folk to you know park their car long term, they might go to off air parking. And then if, on the, the flip side of the coin, you know, at least the trend I've been noticing is is more and more uh, you know valet and other premium options for those who want to pay up or at least you know have a you know business expense account and, and can sure. Now, what is the current model when you guys go into an airport um, and and haven't been there before and you want to start working or about to start working with an airport? Walk me through that process. Sure, absolutely. So uh, on a high level, we'll obviously approach the key stakeholders in the process, uh, whether it be 
you know, folks on the ground transportation side or a director or a general manager, what have you, and you know, really just sit down and, and start talking about you know, what we do and our values, our safety, our insurance, and you know, you know, open up that dialogue. And I think you know, that's the most important part is not necessarily a, you know, saying we're here and you're going to like it, but rather than you know, just a, a casual open. And then from there, we'll start talking next about you know, operational terms. Uh, whether that is you know the pick up and drop off point or uh, congestion concerns or wayfinding or you know as I mentioned before you know the, the cost recovery aspect you know how much we're going to pay uh, and then you know for airports insurance is always a big issue and ensuring that our passengers and the customers are safe elephant in the room is security as well um, because as we open up the conversation to airports notwithstanding you know we might have the fact that we are regulated in general by the state uh, or, you know, have its own individual concerns being a piece of critical infrastructure. And, you know, the vast majority of airports have a bit of self-determination to govern itself. So that's the the, the big uh, picture of, of how we address it. And then, you know, every airport, as they say, is different. And so there might be ultimately a board or a commission or a city council that'll, you know, need to ratify the agreement that we've negotiated. And, you know, you alluded to it and, and, you know, there's no way to get around it. It can be a very political situation where, you know, competing interests want to uh, use this as an opportunity to either push their own agendas or oftentimes try to battle our ability to operate, you know, in a permitted fashion at that airport. So we spend a lot of time, you know, going through that process as well. And then from there, we launch. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and now, when you guys, I, 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 might be, I might be missing a few steps there, but you know, sure, you sure, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I can imagine the. I, I'm laughing because uh, the way you put it, going through the process and getting approved by the board, I, I can just about imagine in some cities um, how much more difficult that is than <laughs> than the way you made it seem, and especially between all the back and forth. But when you guys go into a uh, a new city and start working with a new airport, do you approach them before you start operating in the city and just to let them know, hey, you know, this city is, is on our market, we're going to be opening in the next couple months, or do you open up throughout the city and then approach the airport after the fact? I, I think, you know, there was a time in, in, in Lyft's history where um, it, it was much more, you know, we're going to launch this region and then, you know, we do so and then we open up the, the conversation. Um, you know, at this point, as we've progressed and, and become a, a larger organization, we're now in over 200 cities in the country. There, there are some jurisdictions that we've yet to launch in. And you know, now that I have a you know, full staff, we're able to approach uh, any of those impacted airports prior to launch. And you know, we, we have a number of those uh, conversations going on at any given time. Just to give you an example, you know, we partnered with 13 airports alone in, in, in the third quarter of this year. Um, and, and those were all you know, in preparation for launching those markets. Sure. So, you know, we, we definitely stay busy. And now, are you guys operating internationally yet? I'm sorry, one, one more are time? You, are you, yeah, so are you all launching internationally yet? Uh, no, we, we don't have any plans at this time to, to launch internationally. We, we rely on our international partners, uh, such as OLA and, and others, um, for that international connectivity. Um, but 
Yes. So right now we're, we're just in the United States. Sure, sure. I didn't know if there was any um, working with airports internationally, how that was how that differed from, from the domestic airports. Um, so working with new airports, is there, obviously there's a difference between, you know, smaller regional airports and, and the bigger airports, but kind of filling in the gap, I mean, I think Lyft is safe to say operating in all metropolitan cities uh, in the country. I mean, I, I don't know of any big city that I go to, um, with the exception of one in Texas. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, that, that, that one that starts with H in Texas and ends with the Houston. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and and another one that rhymes with Austin uh, in Texas, I believe, is also <laughs> got you guys. Yep. Uh, but um, so I think that in terms of the major cities, you guys are there, but working with the regional airports and, and kind of the, the medium hub airports, are they becoming more receptive to you working there just because it's kind of the norm now in the major hubs? I, I think that they absolutely are. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, historically, some of the small, small to medium hubs have a uh, deeper relationship with their pre-existing modes. Um, and then that can be challenging just to you know, ensure that staff and, and leadership are, are educated as to what we are and what we aren't and, you know, the potential impact. But I, I do find, frankly, you know, um, it can it can. We, we often invest just as much time in building a relationship with a small or medium hub airport than we do building a relationship with a large hub airport. And we've seen that pretty consistently. Granted, there, there are a handful of, of airports, small and large, where you know, we show up and they're like, hey, we, we've been waiting for you. Um, that's <laughs> obviously a, a, a rare case. And I wish it happened more often. It, it'd make our lives easier, of course. But um, yeah, it, it, across the board, it, it's not, it, it's a bit paradoxical. You would assume that uh, it would, you know, you'd have to invest more in a relationship for a larger airport than, say, a you know, small regional. Sure. I, I appreciate your uh, politically correct term for previous transportation, uh, <laughs> not just uh, for those of for those listeners who don't know, he means taxi cabs just for. <laughs> um, so in, in terms of going to a new market, because I'm really interested and I think that there are some people that are, are that are listening that aren't familiar with kind of how all the 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 sausage is made. Um, mm -hmm. How is it different going into a market where your competitor for Uber is is already there? Is it is do they kind of do the heavy lifting in terms of getting all the rates and when you open up at a, an airport that they've been operating out of, or they, does the operate does the airport just hand you their standard you know what is now their standard rates and and contract and you guys go from there, or is it a completely different negotiation process? Uh, I'd like to think that uh, myself or, or my team arrived just with a very big broom to sweep up. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we, we we tend to you know to have very similar conversation. Um, you know, structurally, some airports just aren't able to have a, a, a separate dialogue because you know every mode needs to be treated the same. So sure. you know, the deal is for that, that that time period that you know the previous deal struck was it is effective, and you know it's. It's more or less take it or leave it. But what I've also found is that, you know, as we enter perhaps on those same terms over time, we're able to uh, continue to build those relationships such that, you know, through trust and, and success, we can optimize 
uh, th those permit terms and improve you know the original launch. Um, so that that's always our goal is is so we're going to pay less or pay more. Um, ideally, we we you know our, one of our missions is to deliver on cost and affordability. But you know for for at least me personally, and I think Lyft, the big win is. You know, when someone gives me a call or, you know, I, I read or hear that, you know, it was so easy to get a ride from, I mean, that, that ultimately is, is, you know, why we do what we do. From the airport, yeah, easy to get a ride from the airport, yeah. Now, just for, our, again, for our listeners, there is no, and you and I have talked about this before, but there is no TNC or ride-sharing lobbying group as of yet, correct? You guys are kind of, while you may work together in some instances, there's no formal, um, let's say, Airlines for America style group or AAA style group to advocate on behalf of ride-sharing with, with public entities, correct? That, that is correct, yes. Yeah. And now, I guess personally, do you see the benefits in, in an organization such as that? I, I think ultimately that there there are are many times when you know ourselves and our competitor are aligned on issues. I mean, we we always you know for example, you know, let's look at a given airport. You know, if we have the opportunity to pick up our passengers at some remote area that requires a, a shuttle versus curbside, uh, both us and them, I assume, and, and I believe this to be true, would would for curbside access. You know, especially if we've been established at that airport for quite some time, and we believe our volume is sufficient to, to warrant, uh, you know, that that level of access. Um, sure. So th there are many issues with regards to airports that we're absolutely aligned. Fundamentally, of course, we are, you know, we are great competitors. Uh, right. But every once in a while, there can be a, an armistice um, to, you know, achieve a, you know, a mutually beneficial goal. Yeah, and to your credit, I mean, to Lyft's credit. You all have worked with the industry groups such as AAAE. I know you all and AAAE and, and Lyft were partners to develop a lot of the geofencing technology that's that's available to some airports, correct? That, that's absolutely correct. So um, we were, I'd like to think that we were thought leaders in, in the space along with AAAE insofar as that, you know, ultimately our engineers sat down and, you know, agreed upon a, a standard in essence, spec for this reporting, uh, and you know, we reached across the aisle, so to speak, to our competitors at the time. It was both Uber and Wings in San Francisco to agree upon a technological standard that we knew could scale across other airports. Because you know, I, I saw a need for this trust yet yet verified type of technology, and you know that that's been uh, expanding, you know, two years since we first started working on it. Sure. Yeah, and that's something that is now available virtually, I believe, uh, and just kind of that's helps true. airports track, you know, when riders get picked up at an airport, as well as um, helps the airports recoup some of the fees for that. Is that is that how that technology works? Yeah, a little bit. And Chris, let me just double back quickly with regards to the trade groups. I, sure. I think that uh, also a testament to to us that we've even now attended a, an AGTA meeting or two. So. You know, we're 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 really trying to to be accepted by even you know to your listeners the traditional folks, the taxis, and the super shuttles of the world. You know, we we do want to reach out to every everyone. Yeah. Um, but as far as the the reporting, just just think of it this way. You know, 
ultimately, we know where our vehicles are when our drivers have their, their phones on. And of course, as a passenger, one of the many um, checks and balances we, we have with regards to security is that we also know where the passengers are. And you know, to some extent, we want to ensure that the airports uh, have sufficient data to know that what we're telling them as far as pickups and drop-offs fundamentally is correct. Mm -hmm. so, so full step, you know, one of the goals of this reporting tool is uh, to, in essence, audit um, payment. But to me, that's just the beginning. I think that you know, utilizing tools such as this, we're really you know, looking to optimize ground transportation around you know, the entire operation. And you know, I, I gave some examples before, but you know, if, if we can you know, provide data back to the airport that, hey, you know, this terminal X, Y, and Z, uh, this is what's happening. You know, we're seeing our ETAs or estimated time of arrivals due to congestion as you know, being this, but we believe if you put you know, the spot here instead, it'll reduce it um, because you're getting a backlog right as folks get off the ramp. It, you, know, you see where I'm going with this. It's just yeah. we can utilize the data that we have and that we're providing uh, really to, to work on, on, on uh, traffic plan. And I think to, to kind of segue on to the benefits of working with airports and, and airports working with you all, revenue aside, and, and kind of an, on an anecdotal note, I, I've spoken with at least one airport uh, that has told me that who at the time we spoke wasn't servicing, um, wasn't, you know, they weren't permitting ride sharing at the airport, that their director believed that it was a upwards of almost $2 million revenue opportunity that they were missing out on on an annual basis. But I, I think you're right. The data alone that you all share with, with your partner airports is worth a lot more than the $5 per rider, just because that data can then be used to generate even more revenue in other places. I think that's exactly right, because, you know, uh, not only can airports then take that data and say, hey, like, here's how we're going to take that data to their you know, agency, whether it be Clear Channel or JC Deco, and that can help set advertising rates, it can set helps that, you know, traffic, you know, foot traffic plans inside the terminals um, for all the other vendors and concessionaires. I, I think it, it's extraordinarily helpful. And now to, to kind of, again, once again, segue onto the data, you guys had a big announcement today with a new partner, uh, not an airport, but aviation related. Um, talk to me a little bit about the announcement you all had with JetBlue and what that means for JetBlue travelers as well as Lyft riders. Absolutely. So we, we were pleased to, to announce this morning our partnership with JetBlue. So there's going to be uh, a branded area at Terminal 5 for, for the folks who uh, enjoy spending time in New York. In addition, uh, users of both us and, and JetBlue will be able to collect TrueBlue points uh, throughout the year as they take Lyft rides to and from airports. And um, it, also as part of that, you know, users who link their account between Lyft and JetBlue will get a $15 Lyft credit. Um, so we're, we're really excited about that, and, and they've been an extraordinarily fantastic partner to work with. Now, in terms of just kind of on a personal note, uh, <laughs> taking Lyft to the airport, is that going to be uh, to gain JetBlue mileage? Is that just to airports JetBlue services? Uh, it actually is not, but um, I, I can see why that, that is – you know, important for the partnership, of course, um, but okay. it, it is not just uh, just for those limited uh, airports. Okay. Okay. So that's good to know. Good to know. 
Now, I would imagine that this is just the beginning of the partnership between JetBlue and Lyft. I think it's really interesting that airlines are now starting to focus on their travelers' experience outside of just getting them from the one airport to another. Are, are you all seeing, and this is a kind of a personal note, not on behalf of Lyft, but how are you seeing that impact, and what are some of the ways that you are seeing you know, a stronger partnership between JetBlue and, and Lyft, or even Lyft and, and other airlines? No, I, I think it's, it's, it's fundamentally important, and in, in the, the airlines understand that, you know, that, that end-to-end service is, it's, it is important to travelers. You, you want to feel as if you know, you're aligned with a brand or a series of brands that, that have similar ethoses, similar, that address your similar concerns and needs, and so you can imagine, uh, you know, an airline like JetBlue, which is, you know, I, I'd even use the word fascinated with you know, travel comfort and value, uh, you know, partnering with us in order to you know, have that continuity of service. They want, you know, travelers to get to their port relaxed, not stressed, not running late, not worrying about, you know, um, where the next flight is coming from. And then, frankly, also be prepared to have a different experience once they land and, and, you know, get to their final destination. And I think that that type of you know continuity of service, again, you know, just frankly makes uh, passengers even or travelers, I should say, even even more loyal to those brands. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I mean, I think that a lot of the American um, and domestic airlines are starting to take notes from the airlines overseas. When you look at you know, what Emirates is doing. And I know that there's a huge debate between, you know, what's fair and what's not fair in terms of <laughs> yes. Emirates and, 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 and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always fun when, when Emirates gets on and uh, the other, the other Middle Eastern airlines get on and criticize the domestic, domestic, U.S. domestic airlines. And, and for some reason, the CEO of Delta always gets in, in the, in the mix of things. But I think that, you know, a lot of American travelers are starting to compare the experiences when you fly on even, you know, Singapore airline or, or, or another airline overseas. And, they're not they realize that those airlines are not just trying to connect them from point a to point b in terms of the airport they're also taking a fascination in where they're going after you know the fact um trying to get them either to their hotel or to back home or whatever the case may be and making sure that that entire experience is seamless i i think that's exactly right and you know frankly uh, as you know american traveling mostly in in north america uh, you get accustomed to a certain or at least we were accustomed to a certain level of airport. And I think that, you know, with the improvements of, you know, for example, Terminal 5 at JFK and, and you're seeing these, you know, just remarkable renovations or at least new builds, whether it be, you know, Phoenix Sky Harbor or, you know, what LAX will turn into, you know, we, we do realize that, you know, when folks come to, to America, they expect, you know, that American gloss. And you often sure. don't foresee that when you arrive at a, you know, domestic, uh, airport here versus say when you travel to Europe or Asia. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that the industry is headed that direction. And they're making more money now more than ever. I mean, you know, you're, you're seeing these airlines report billions. And so it's, it's, you're hoping that a lot of, that some of this is being spent on investments in passenger experience. Of course, the, the easiest thing to do is go out and buy new planes and that's fine. Uh, you know, I don't. I think that it's time for some of these MD80s that are still flying around to, <laughs> to go to the <laughs> yeah. right side. But 
I think that it's also important to establish relationships like they are with doing with that JetBlue is doing with Lyft. I'm waiting for the day, and, and I know this is a long, <laughs> this is 100% hypothetical, but I'm waiting for the day to hear that some airline has bought out an Airbnb or or some type of company like that where they can learn not only learn more about their or their passengers and their travelers on where they're going, but also ensure that, hey, we're going to get you not just to the airport, like I've been saying, but we're going to get you to the final destination. We're going to make sure that where you're staying is, is aligned with the, with the expectation that you get from the airline. Sure. I, I guess it's too bad that Emirates didn't buy Starwood when they had the chance, but um, I, I do think that's exactly right, that that type of vertical integration, if, if at all possible, uh, could be you know, could be the future. Um, I, I don't Frank, I, I would only be speculating uh, if I said that airlines would want to be in you know the you know, that that hotel business, but sure. they're inextricably tied. I mean, you know, when folks are traveling, it's often you know it, it, unless it's you know, leisure travel to see family, etc. But they are now staying in you know folks are generally going to hotels, and now of course Airbnb and its proliferation is a, a go-to, and you know, I, I don't. But I'm I'm sure Airbnb does have relationships and loyalty partnerships with you know a myriad of other travel brands. Yeah, I think that it would have to be an airline in order to kind of comfort everyone's fears. It would have to be an airline that doesn't score low on the hospitality and <laughs> passenger experience. Right. I can think off the top of my head several airlines that probably would not be a good fit for a uh, <laughs> hotel or it's or vacation by owner style company. So to kind of switch gears and, and wrap things up, I don't want to leave this conversation without talking about a post that you want that you mentioned earlier John Zimmer put out on Medium that kind of confirmed a lot of what everyone has been thinking and and I know Uber's been talking about you know driverless cars uh for a long time mm-hmm. so John or or Jay-Z is you actually <laughs> <laughs> yes, the other Jay-Z yeah the other okay the <laughs> I think that you know, his vision of, uh, and I, I guess Lyft's vision of the future wasn't shocking. I do think that a lot of people were surprised by the timeline he put on it, right. but had some great stats on, you know, just driver's license, I guess, uh, interests and by teenagers and, and the fact that uh, I believe he quotes one statistic I, don't, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but that driver's license sure. applications are down amongst teenagers. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. And, and so, you know, our, our CEO, Logan Green, and, and our president, John Zimmer, our co-founders, you know, they, they do have a very particular vision that, that is a bit, uh, that, that might vary from what you've heard in, in popular culture over the last, you know, couple of years. And as far as we do have an extended timeline, like we, we do believe that, you know, by 2021, for example, um, autonomous vehicles will account for the majority of lift rides, but you know, I think that there are some folks who who want to think that you know everyone will be in a you know a unmanned vehicle in the next four years, and and we just don't don't believe that that is the correct path, nor will that will will history you know um, show that out. But instead, sure. you know, we we think that that by 2025, you know, the majority of folks in major cities won't be interested or or have a need for uh, their own vehicle. And we, we, we liken this to the Netflix subscription model, right? Mm-hmm. So as opposed to, say, you know, Mr. Elon Musk's master plan or vision that, you know, if you can afford a $100,000 Tesla and you're at, at, you know, your office or 
um, I guess your, your your castle, then while while you're not driving, other people can rent it. But we just don't see that that being able to scale. Uh, nor can the vast majority of folks actually even have, you know participate in that kind of closed network. But instead, you know, when, when you look at it, frankly, you know, there's a study I believe it was from 2011 or 2012 that in essence there there are more parking spaces than the uh, actual uh, square mileage of the state of Connecticut. And so, you know, given how infrequently people actually occupy or, you know, spend, their, spend time in their vehicle and the occupancy of it, you know, we're, we're really looking at, at, you know, eroding the concept that your car is just more of a parking vehicle than it is a driving vehicle. And then and that's completely unnecessary. So as we start deploying these, these networks, we believe that, you know, of course, it'll become a hybrid. You'll, you'll have, you know, fewer and fewer drivers. But you always have a, a total addressable market outside of uh, major uh, urban areas that need you know folks to be able to navigate, whether it be you know snow and ice, wind and rain, all things that are you know uh, that can't be overcome reliably by current autonomous vehicle technology, and probably won't be for quite some time. And you know you'll you'll have folks who um, always will just not be interested in being driven around by a computer, and and when we respect that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's always going to be the guy that or, or girl that drives around in, you know, in the in the '75 Mustang or, or you know whatever, just because they are a gearhead and appreciate driving for the sake of driving. I'm not one of those people. I I I look forward to the day that I don't have to drive a car, but I can appreciate the people. And it's just like planes, right? While there are plenty of of autopilot systems out there, there are plenty of people that just like to go up in their plane for a recreational day, you know, and and just fly around and and not really go anywhere, but just kind of fly around for the sake of being in the sky. And it kind of loses that luster uh, when you're don't have to do anything and just kind of sit there. So I can appreciate that, you know, the nostalgia of of that and and the, uh, I guess, excitement that that people get. Um, I can't I can't say that I look forward to that myself, but I do I do look forward to to being picked up and and not have to drive around um, in a car, not have to drive a car and and be driven around by I don't care who's driving it, just right. or what's driving it. And, and of course, and, and part of the vision too, and, and just to sort of wrap up the, the, the broader point in the vision of co-founders, is that you know, given all of these trends that you know millennials are less interested in car ownership, even now teenagers are, are less interested in getting a driver's license. That also frees up civic planners uh, to you know stop designing our you know our cities, frankly, around the car ownership. Sure. And that that's basically has been the trend. And and to reference a, a, a previous you know, part of the conversation, Chris, we were having. It also means that when airports are looking 25 years out, they they will no longer be structuring per se, you know, their non-aeronautical revenue around uh, just you know parking. You know, right. the, the start, start will have to start thinking, and I believe they already have. And, and I've talked to some of them. You know, they're starting to think about how to make Dex modular, where you know autonomous vehicles can park and charge, or you know, how you can turn a parking deck eventually into additional office space or other mixed use space. And so building those structures now so that they can be retrofitted in the future when it, you know, parking is less of a, a popular thing to do, I think is extremely important for, you know, those who are looking at the long term. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I've actually had conversations with architects um, who specifically work with airports, and they're, they're saying they're confirming that saying the same thing. Um, right. They're looking, especially with parking garages, what the long-term effects of that are going to be, um, and say, and and assuming that you know there's a standard size for parking lot now that accounts for people having to get in and out of the car, um, and then over time that becoming smaller because there won't be people in the car when the car parks itself, whether, you know, it's personally owned. Um, uh, but then also, you know, putting the infrastructure into the garage when it's built from the beginning to be easily transferred to an office or like, you, you know, additional uh, usable space. So that means putting in, making sure the proper sewage put in place, you know, all, all the proper infrastructure, electrical fiber, et cetera, um, that goes right. in so that when, when they're done, they can still use the concrete, you know, that's been set for the parking structure as been as the base for the floor and and you know wall can be put in and et cetera et cetera um so yeah i think i think you're right airports are absolutely starting to look at how to build things um from a non-aviation standpoint modular and and how best to adapt uh because it is going to happen fast there's no question um that if you're not planning for it now in in five years uh, it's going to be drastically different than than the landscape is today, because um, I think we're we're starting to get to that hockey stick um, moment where you know change is just going to catapult um, in in very quickly move. Absolutely, and, and we fully agree with that. Now, just to kind of wrap up, because there was one question that I had with reading this Medium post, um, and, and for the listeners, if you haven't read it yet, uh, I'll, I'll put the link to it in the show notes. Uh, it's definitely worth – it's a little bit of a lengthy read, but it's definitely worth the read. Um, but the one question I had was in terms of the business model um, for Lyft, I can understand you all having the infrastructure put in place now. Um, but where do the cars come from and who owns them? Is it personally owned vehicles that are autonomous or does Lyft get into the fleet business and just starting at buying at mass uh, GM cars? Excellent question. And, and as I alluded to earlier, we, we don't believe that the, you know, the, the future of autonomous vehicles uh, for Lyft will be that, that Elon Musk style. You, know, you own your Tesla and it has uh, autonomous vehicle technology built into it, and when you're not using it, um, you can lease it out. But instead, as again, as I mentioned, it's more of a Netflix style. You know, we operate the platform, and you can subscribe. And and you know, we are not in the business of, of building cars or even owning the cars uh, per se. And so we'll continue to partner with folks like a, a General Motors uh, and and others who will be the, the backbone of, of the hardware. Um, if you want to think of it as a traditional kind of OEM carrier model, in essence, you know, we're the software, um, we're the network, and you know, other folks will be building the phones, hopefully not a uh, Galaxy Note 7, but I digress. Um, <laughs> and, and so we, we will be turning to that. <laughs> yeah, so we, we will be turning to you know, those strategic alliances uh, to supply uh, those vehicles. Now, just to clarify uh, for our listeners, the, the Elon Musk model is something that he talked about in what I believe he titled Master Plan Part 2, uh, or <laughs> yeah. um, and that is his vision that you own a Tesla, an autonomous Tesla, um, and don't be afraid of the high price point because you can subsidize payments by uh, basically turning it into a ride-sharing 
um, car, uh, but that that platform would be controlled by Tesla. They aren't the only ones that are looking into this, though. I believe I read an article not too long ago about BMW also looking into getting into this type of business. GM is an investor in Lyft, correct? You guys took a, an investment from them. Yes, that's exactly year? right. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, yes, GM uh, you know announced a, a $500 million investment in Lyft. So we we are strategically aligned with them, and I also agree that you know BMW and and many other major manufacturers have announced their own independent um, programs to deliver autonomous vehicles to the marketplace. So it's really going to be an interesting you know race to see you know what the mix of the future will look like. I mean you already have Volvo with fleets, Mercedes Benz has announced, um, and, and others. So um, I, I think this is just the the, the next evolution of the autonomous vehicle war. I will note that I think that there are some manufacturers that are going to be better situated for the future of uh, ride sharing and autonomous vehicles. And, and frankly, it, it's the American manufacturers who still um, make you know the higher margin on, you know, on on basically work trucks and work vehicles. Because as I think we all know, whether you're you're General Motors or others, you know that is where a lot of the revenue comes from. So. You know, it, I, I think we'll be even further out. Granted, there, there are already stories of, you know, uh, 18-wheelers doing long-haul autonomous drives. But when it comes to, you know, sort of you know, the, the typical use case, whether they're on a construction site or, or whatever have you, those are going to be, you know, your standard uh, futuristic truck driven likely by a human for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah, you – I can I can see the need for, for – automobile manufacturers to innovate and, and jump on the automated uh, car uh, platform and then as well as operate basically what would be a Lyft competitor. Uh, unfortunately, I just see it as more damn apps on my phone. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it just, it, I just it envision a day where someone has got a BMW or Mercedes-Benz, a G, you know, et cetera. It's every car manufacturer now has their own ride summoning app that is just I don't I think more and more people are you know I know when when the iPhone first came out and and Android first came out apps were the big thing and they still are generate a good amount of revenue and provide a a healthy lifestyle for some people but I think the the world of apps is uh, closely coming to an end in terms of people not wanting to open up one, you know, different apps to accomplish different things. They just want one, you know, few apps to, to kind of do it all. Um, and then, so, absolutely. I think that has that application. I mean, from, you know, the most basic, which is, you know, no one needs to download another calculator app unless you need scientific functions that are, you know, well over my head. And, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, to say that kind of within our, our universe, you know, I always hear hear folks talk about how like every airport was trying to create its own app, and you know travelers really just don't want to open up a you know an airport X app for one time that they're there every so often. And so Absolutely. you know hopefully to to ride sharing, you know if everyone has a proprietary app, it, it's going to consolidate, and, and I think we all know that. No, no, I, I think you're right. I think like everything, the market will drastically expand, you know, and everybody will will be in it in the beginning, and then just like ride sharing did, the the best will rise to the top uh, after after a certain period of time. Um, I've been a huge opponent of airports getting their own apps. <laughs> I think that 
any information <laughs> you put in an airport app just needs to be put into the airlines app and be done with it. But there's a lot of issues when it comes to sharing data through that. So I last thing I, I just I can't go without touching on it real quickly because it's the newest trend and then comes down I think it comes out to all the data that's being put out there is with artificial intelligence. Obviously you guys use a lot of AI to shift through and, and organize a lot of the data. What is I guess the future that you're looking at in with AI and 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 working with airports? You know and and you mentioned just the the amount of data that you guys can collect uh, on passengers coming through airports using artificial intelligence to help airports in certain situations, whether that's, you know, marketing, um, new marketing posters being put up or, or displays being put up or even security. You know, if there's, a, there's an issue at an airport where, you know, there's a security issue in an airport and an area needs to be cleared out, is your team at all trying to figure out how the – AI that Lyft's using and currently developing can be kind of rolled out or, or even uh, not necessarily given to airports, but how it can be used to help airports and, and kind of cultivate some of that data? Sure. I mean, as you can imagine, and, and I'll, I'll use a bit more of like machine learning than, than AI in its, its traditional sense, but you, you can imagine with data, you know, think about how literally things will work today if, if you're part of the MWA systems or the DC airports, you know, if it's a busy time or if there's storm delays, you know, they'll send out an email or a text or even call taxi companies and say, hey, like we need more more guys. So imagine a world where we can, you know, through our technology and, and the information from other third parties and utilizing APIs, understand exactly what the flights look like, not only the capacity of uh, with the planes, but also the number of seats sold, and then, you know, automatically, so to speak, predict what our demand will look like based on, you know, what our market size is at that given facility. So, but that's, that's one of the more immediate things, of course, I, I think anyone can imagine that folks like myself would be thinking about. And then, as we all know, there's a, a, a sort of resurgent trend around beacons and airports and, and you know, looking at foot traffic and terminals and then determining you know, something similar, you know, how many folks are about to leave or, or want to leave, how long have they been waiting? Um, I think that the airports such as uh, MI, Miami and even McCarran or so Vegas are, are already, already you know, exploring those kind of things. So you know, we look forward to just you know, improving the customer service on both ends uh, through the additional sifting of the data and, and predictive analysis. Yeah, I can and imagine. I think that's just the beginning. Yeah, I can imagine a world where um, from a Lyft standpoint, you know, and, and let's use your partnership with JetBlue, for example, if you, and, and I'm 100% hypothetical for, for our listeners, so I have absolutely no information <laughs> to, the, to the partnership you all and the details you have with, uh, with JetBlue, but just saying something, you know, having that information where you know, okay, at 12 o'clock, we'll have seven JetBlue flights coming in that are at have load capacity, load factors of, you know, 80%. So we know exactly how many people are coming off of these flights and in turn being able to predict or, or, you know, say, okay, well, this is how many cars we'll need to support the amount of people that are coming off of these flights, um, which would then essentially drop the wait time to a very minimum time and even, you know, for people 
people that have ever sat in a line to get into a cab at an airport, eliminate that altogether with just a little bit of heads up through the data being shared between all the partners. Yes, absolutely. You can envision, Chris, that that world, and, and I think that's uh, a, a much sooner future than, say, for example, you know, deep penetration of autonomous people being on the road. Um, but you know, we're always looking at you know, solving bigger problems and, and trying to address you know, travelers' needs. Um, our ultimate goal is you know, to make this a safe, affordable ride. And, and in working with airports, which I, I do believe are, you know, uh, are a very complex partner to solve because everyone you know, has thoughts and feelings about airport travel uh, to and from again or even inside terminals. But you know, they're, notwithstanding everyone's extraordinarily hard work and, and vision, you know, there's always room for improvement in all things, in, in, including this. Okay. Well, I, I definitely monopolized enough of your time. The last question that I just want to address or want to ask is um, in terms of airports that are building new terminals, if you, as you're in your role with business operations and, and working intimately with airports, uh, the ones that are building terminals, what is the one request that would make Lyft's life easier, but also provide for a more seamless passenger and rider experience? What would be the one feature or, or you know, a few features that you would love to airports to start integrating into newly constructed terminals? Well, I, I wish I was an architect so I could give you, a, you know, a, an actual, you know, technical and thoughtful response. But, you know, in, 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 my, in my humble view, um, there are at least some small things. Airports are, are, are massive facilities, and, and we wouldn't expect them to necessarily cater to just us. But... Uh, I would suggest that at a minimum, uh, modular wayfinding, you know, time and time again, you know, we'll launch with a new airport partner and, you know, lo and behold, new signs have to be made, TNCs come and go just like many other businesses. So, you know, the ability for uh, folks to be able to quickly swap in, swap out or, you know, enhance that experience and, and make it easy for passengers to, to really get to where they, they need to be going. And I, I saw a demonstration recently, and I think you were there too, Chris, where, you know, utilizing augmented reality will make wayfinding, I think, uh, you know, a much more pleasurable experience as you're in an airport. You can follow along with your, your phone or tablet and see an array of additional information, including, you know, how to get from, say, a gate or from baggage claim to, you know, to a lift. Um, and I think also, you know, we, we really have to start rethinking uh, the, the central terminal areas and whether it makes sense, you know, as the trend seems to be, you know, for, uh, you know, central rail car centers and all the rest, should there just be one ground transportation hub broadly, and then that's connected to terminals through people movers, trains, et cetera, or should there be, and I guess it's a fundamental question, should there be, you know, exclusive lanes for uh, ride sharing? I, 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 I really think that, you know, rather than looking just at that you know, low level view, on a high level view, new terminals should be able to accommodate a high volume of autonomous vehicles. So, you know, ensuring that those vehicles can navigate, you know, preventing bottlenecking, preventing, you know, hard turns, if at all possible. You know, some airports have a ton of space, others have a very small footprint to work with. But just, just thinking through, you know, what would an autonomous vehicle do as opposed to, you know, what our current existing modes doing? Yeah, that hard turns, avoiding hard turns. That's interesting. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a that's a great point. 
Well, Bakari, again, I, I really appreciate your time, and, and thanks again for, for jumping on and doing this interview with us. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's definitely been, it's been a pleasure, Chris. Yeah, and is there any uh, way people can reach out to you or Lyft? Of course, we'll have uh, the Lyft's website in our show notes, but is there anywhere that people can kind of learn more about what Lyft's doing with airports and, and how to help or how to be a part uh, if they're if they're working with an airport and want to work with Lyft? Sure, absolutely. It, it's, uh, if you work with an airport, you can reach out to me directly. It's Bakari at Lyft.com. If you just want more information on you're at an airport and need to know need to know where to go, uh, we actually have a new airport portal. Do that URL basically take you know fly lift, um, and uh, your users can just click there and, and look at all our airport partners and get instructions. Okay, and again, uh, I'll have I'll have all those notes uh, and all those links in the show notes. So, well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, have a good one. Once again, I want to thank Bakari and the rest of the team over at Lyft for helping us get that interview set up. Of course, as always, I want to thank Bruno Masson for letting us use his music as our intro. You can find more of his stuff at brunomasson.com. I'll have his link in the show notes, as well as the rest of the links that Bakari mentioned during our conversation. If you like this conversation and you want to hear more, you can visit our website. It's just www.runway.bc or subscribe to the podcast either via Stitcher iTunes, or on SoundCloud. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next one.